All right, so here, here's what we know, right? That, that the names that you either give yourself or that people give you matter, right? So if you're growing up, you probably got nicknames that maybe you chose for yourself, maybe people chose for you, and whether they're accurate or not, it does kind of paint how people view you. So one of my nicknames that I got from some of my close friends growing up was they called me Lanky, and it was like, oh, that fits, right? And so that, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe you had some names that you didn't like that were, that were kind of derogatory, and so people kind of viewed you through those, lens, those lenses. When I uh, graduated with my master's degree, my grandmother was like, so what do we call you now? Do we call you like pastor or reverend or whatever? And I said, well, I'm not a pastor right now. And you know, when people get like a PhD, you call them doctors. So if you want to call me master, that would be great. And they didn't stick with my family. They're like, yeah, we're not doing that. Uh, also with our Finley, our three and a half year old, you know, we also have names. So we tell her that mommy and daddy are the boss. She's not the boss. She doesn't get to say what goes. We get to say what goes, right? It helps her understand that we are the authority in her life. And so what we're doing this series as we're kicking off I Am is what we're doing is we're letting Jesus tell us who he is, right? A lot of people have thoughts about who Jesus is and about what he came to do. And so we want to see what does Jesus actually say about himself? Now, we can agree or disagree with whether or not we think Jesus is and did what he said he was going to do. But what we can't do is we don't want to have a false idea of who Jesus actually said he was. And in the book of John, there are seven I am statements of Jesus, seven times where Jesus comes out and says, here is who I am. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this fall. The first uh, I am statement of Jesus is in John chapter six. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab one out or there's a black one somewhere around you. You can use that one. If you don't own a Bible, you could take one of those black ones home. That is our gift to you. And so in John chapter six, let me just give you some background about what's going on before we read this passage. Uh, the day before this I am statement occurs, Jesus feeds, does the feeding of the 5,000 that you may be familiar with. So a lot of people have come to travel and hear Jesus speak. It's towards the end of the day. People are hungry. There's nowhere they can really go to, to eat anything or to grab any food. And so Jesus takes a few loaves of bread and fish from a, a child, multiplies them and feeds over 5,000 people, does this miraculous sign uh, feeding these people. And then that night, the disciples leave, go across the sea, the body of water that they were next to. But they notice that Jesus does not get in the boat with the disciples. Instead, what happens, they wake up the next morning. They notice Jesus didn't leave, but they can't find him. And so what happened in the middle of the night, especially if you're reading this book like we are, you'll then not only see the, the feeding of the 5,000, that night is the night that Jesus walks on water. So that is the context. He's done two amazing miracles showing who he is. That's the context of what's going on going on in John chapter 6 when we see the first I am statement of Jesus. Here's what it says, starting in verse 22. The next day, the crowd had stayed on the other side of the sea, saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So after he fed the feeding of the 5,000, verse 24, when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum to look for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're kind of confused, like, we didn't see you leave, and yet here you are. Verse 26, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, you're, you're following me around because you saw me do a miracle, but you're failing to see what the miracle is pointing towards. So I fed you, I showed you who I am yesterday, but you're failing to see who I'm actually, who I really am, because you're focused on something else. And so that's what he's saying, that I performed this miracle for a reason, but you're just following me for the miracle itself, not for who I am. And so here he continues by saying this in verse 27. So it says, don't work for the food that perishes, 
but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And they respond by saying, what can we do to perform the works of God? They ask. So in other words, here's what he's saying, that Jesus is telling them to focus on what matters most. Not the miracle that he preferred, but the, one, the, the reason and why he performed the miracle and who performed the miracle. And so they respond by saying, okay, you're talking about this eternal life thing that sounds good. Uh, what do we need to do? How do we perform the works of God? They're not asking, how can we do what you can do? What they're asking is, how do we obtain this thing that you're talking about, right? What do we have to do in order to get this eternal bread life thing that you are speaking of? In other words, their mind minds, like ours often is, is what do we have to do to earn it? So you're offering this eternal life thing. What do I have to do so that I can get it? All right? And here's how he responds. Verse 29, Jesus replied, this is the work of God. Here it is, that you believe in the one he has sent. In other words, he says, it's not about what you do. It's not about saying the right things. It's not about doing all the right things. Instead, it's about trusting who God sent Jesus himself. And so verse 30, they replied by saying this, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what, basically what's going on here <clears throat> is that Jesus, again, just did the feeding of the 5,000. He fed all these people to perform this miraculous sign, but it appears that this sign kind of only piqued their curiosity. They wanted to see him do something else. And so they referenced the manna that God had provided for the Israelites when they left Egypt and were going into the promised land every day in the dew of the morning. God provided manna for the Israelites to eat. And they're saying, well, if Moses was able to do this amazing thing for the Israelites, what are you going to do to show us that you're something special? Which again is interesting because he literally just did it. And so here's how he responds because they're saying, you got to do something greater than Moses if you actually are someone who's greater than Moses. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the only one who comes down from, the world, from heaven and gives his life to the world. In other words, first he says this, it wasn't Moses that provided the bread. Let's just get that straight. Moses didn't do anything. It was God himself who provided the bread. And what he's saying here is that God himself is not this time not just providing some physical nourishment, but is providing something even greater. And he's saying the true bread that God gives us comes down from heaven and gives life ongoingly. So this bread that Jesus is talking about, it's not just like this physical sustenance that you eat every single day and you're satisfied for a little bit, but then a few hours later you're hungry again. No, this bread is actually uh, satisfactory for all of time. Again, in other words, Jesus right here is pointing to something greater, that he's about to offer something greater than just physical bread that you can eat, but that then are hungry again a few hours later. And so here's, <clears throat> here's, what, he say, or here's what he says. Uh, so they say, give us a sign from heaven. He tells you that I, I am greater than Moses and I'm here to offer my life. And so then they say this in verse 34. They say, then they said, sir, give us this bread always. So if you're kind of offering this eternal life, something that's going to actually satisfy us, then give it to us, and they're still thinking in physical terms. So they're still thinking, give us this bread so that we won't be hungry again. Now, to me, that sounds awesome because maybe you can tell this, but I am someone who eats to live. I do not live to eat. I don't really care about food. My wife, Christina, says I'm a boring eater because I don't like flavor. It's like, as long as I'm full, I don't care. If you, if you are someone who likes to eat and enjoys eating food, you might be like, I don't want to be like, I like to eat. I don't want to be not hungry again. But that's not what Jesus is saying here, right? Jesus is not offering them something physical, but they're still in their minds. They're saying, give us this bread so that we aren't hungry physically again. And so here's how Jesus responds. He says this in verse 35, the first I am statement of John. He says, I am the bread of life. 
Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Again, here's what Jesus is doing. He's speaking plainly in light of everybody's misunderstanding of who he is, right? In verse 34, they say, God, they say, God, give us this bread. Give us this eternal bread because we want it. And what's interesting is that Jesus is answering them and is giving them something they don't think they need or they don't want, even though they need. And that happens to us often, right? There's often things in our life that we want. And then often, you know, in foresight, we can look back in the past and we say, I'm so glad that what I wanted in that moment, I didn't get because it actually wasn't what I needed. And what he's saying here is that Jesus is going to give us what we need, even though it's not what we think that we need. And so he tells them that this bread that I'm offering you is actually myself. He's telling them, again, that whoever would come to me will never be hungry again. In other words, he's saying simply this. It's pretty obvious. He's saying that I am the bread of life, that I am all these miracles that I've been doing. I haven't been doing them just to be like, hey, look how awesome I am, or kind of be like, appease the crowd and do some cool things. No, I'm doing these miracles for a reason, and they're pointing to the fact that I am the bread of life, that I am coming for you. Now, the, the author of the book of John, which is John himself, one of Jesus' closest disciples, what he's doing here is he's, he's setting these events up so that as we read it, things start to click in our mind, right? So we see that he's the, he offers the bread to the 5,000. He walks on water. He's the bread of life. Oh, that makes sense. It's starting to click. That's the hope as he composes this gospel that we understand as we read it. And there may be things for you, right? If you just think in your life, like things that clicked for you later on in life, like you look back and you'd be like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like, there's some things for me. I don't know if this is really the answer to this riddle, but you know the, the kind of the question riddle, whatever you call it. Why did the chicken cross the road, right, to get the other side? And there's lots of uh, reasons of what that actually means. But I remember, still remember to this day, the day I heard this reason that I'm about to share with you, and I was like, I've never seen the, I've never looked at the joke the same again. It makes a lot of sense. I don't know if it's the right answer, but it is for me. So why did the chicken cross the road, right? Because when he crosses the road, he gets hit by a truck, and he dies, and then he gets to the other side. Get it? Like he's dead. And so he, see, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. It clicks. But maybe you're like, Dylan, that's stupid. But hey, it makes a lot of sense to me. Or this one, I shared this about a year ago. You know, this little piggy goes to market. This little piggy had roast beef, the thing you do with your kids. Finley loves when we do that. I realized about a year ago that when it says this little piggy goes to market, he doesn't go to market to get groceries. Right? He's going to market because he is the groceries, because that's where you go to get bacon. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, after I realized that, I'm like, oh, this makes so much more sense to me. That Why would a pig go to market? Because he is, you know, going to die. Right? And so as I, now that I know that, it clicks. It gives more light to what I'm saying here, or what that joke or that riddle, whatever you want to call it, means to me. And that's what's happening here, that John is trying to show us he fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He is the bread of life. He's not just some physical sustenance. So there's something special and unique about Jesus. So that's what we need to know, that he is the bread of life. Here is why we need to, uh, to know it. Here's why it's important. Let's keep reading verse 36. Jesus continues. So he says, if you come to me, you will not be hungry again. You will not be thirsty again. And he says this in verse 36. But as I told you, you've seen me and that you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, God the Father's will, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those who he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Here's why this is so important. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am the bread of life. 
I am the giver of life, and anyone who trusts and believes in me, trusts and believes in Jesus, and that I was sent from God, will never be hungry again spiritually. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm offering you something better than just physical nourishment. I'm offering you spiritual nourishment. And here's the great news of what's going on here. He says that I came, that anyone who come to me, I will not lose, that I will not reject anyone who comes to me, which means no matter what you have maybe done in the past, said in the past, thought in the past, no matter what you may do in the future, if you come to Jesus, he will not reject you. You know, sometimes people ask, have I lost my salvation? Is there something I can do to make God, you know, not love me anymore? And then what we see here is that all it takes is for us to be honest about our need for him, to love and to trust and to follow him, and he accepts us. And so oftentimes, if we're confused or if we're concerned that we have done something to make God maybe not want to save us anymore, typically, if you're thinking that, you have nothing to be worried about because you're still showing that you trust and you care. And Jesus, what he's saying is that anybody who comes to me, no matter when, at what point in their life, no matter what they may have done, I will not reject him. That this life I'm offering is not for a select few, it's not for certain people who do certain things, but it's literally for everyone, meaning that God the Father loves you and he will not reject you. That's what he's saying, come and take of this bread because I love you and I will not reject you. And this is why this is important. Here's why we need to know this, because you will not find this anywhere else. You will not find this love and hope and forgiveness and grace anywhere else. You won't find it in a job or a career. You won't find it in a relationship. You won't find it in some sort of spirituality. You won't find it in trying to be a really, really good person so God will love you more. No, this offer of life and grace and hope is available to anyone who comes and trusts in Jesus, and you will not find that anywhere else. Which leads us to the next question of what do we do about this? Here's what we do about this. It may seem obvious, but Jesus is inviting us to come and take from the bread of life and be filled. Come and take from me and be filled. In other words, here's what he's doing to them. He's telling the Jews in this time period, excuse me, and he's telling us that your sole desire is right here in front of you. What you were created for is right here in front of you, but you're missing it because you're focusing in on the wrong thing. He's focusing in on the wrong thing. So for the Jews at this time, they were focusing in on a political Messiah. They wanted a Messiah that would come and free them from the suppression of the Roman government to reestablish Israel as its own sovereign nation that can follow God and, and worship him freely. Now, now, that's a great thing to want, especially if you lived in the Roman Empire at this time. If you weren't a Roman citizen, life was not good for you. They could kill you for simply walking on the side of the different side of the street. If you did anything to make them mad, like it was very oppressive, not a great place to live if you weren't a Roman citizen. And so what they wanted was a good thing. And so they were so focused on someone coming to set them free politically that they're missing out on who Jesus is. And the same is so for us. You may not be wanting some political figure to save you, but you may be so focused on a difficult situation. Or maybe you're so focused on becoming a better you. Or maybe you're so focused on your own happiness. And listen, those are not necessarily bad things. And you shouldn't, it's, not like, it's not like if you're in a bad situation, you shouldn't want out of it. You shouldn't want to be improve your character and who you are. Yes, those are all great things, but they are not the greatest things. And what happens is we can get so focused on earthly things here, these temporal, temporal things that we miss out on what God is actually offering us, right? Again, it wasn't a bad thing at all that Jewish people wanted to be set free. It is not a bad thing at all if you're in a difficult spot in life, if you're wanting to get through it, or if you're wanting to be healthier, if you're wanting to learn some new skill. There's nothing wrong with any of those things at all. In fact, you should want and desire those things, but what Jesus is saying is don't just settle for those things. Don't get so focused on, if I could just have this, then my life would be better, that you miss out on what I am offering. It kind of reminds me of when I was growing up, and even today still, uh, my grandmother, she's a very traditional Southern grandmother, so she loves having people over, she loves to cook, and she's great at it, right? And so every Thanksgiving and Christmas, she sets out a dessert table. 
And so for the couple of days surrounding both holidays, she has a dessert table, and it has homemade stuff and store-bought stuff, so like peanut butter balls and sugar cookies and fudge and all this stuff, and it is awesome, right? It is awesome, especially when you're a kid growing up. It's like, I can eat this like all day. This is great, right? And so what would happen, I've got better at this as I've gotten older, but what would happen is I would be so enamored with the snack table, which was a good thing. It was yummy. It was tasty, but I would eat it throughout the day so that when it was finally time for Thanksgiving dinner or for Christmas dinner, which was the best meal I was going to eat the entire year, I wasn't that hungry, right? What did I do? I traded a great thing, a great meal for a good thing because I keep snacking on something that's good. I'm losing focus on what the better thing is. So now that I'm an adult and I'm more wise about it, about three to four hours before mealtime, I will not eat anything from the snack table. That way I can still enjoy the snack table but also enjoy the best meal that I'm going to eat the entire year. What Jesus is saying here is those desires that you have, they are good and they are worthy and they are not bad at all. But if they become everything that you're consumed about and everything that you want, then you're going to miss out on what I'm offering you. I'm reminded by, of a quote by C.S. Lewis. It'll be on the screen. He was a Christian author. He said this, it would seem that the, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. In other words, the things that we want in this world, they're not too strong, they're too weak because our desires are wrong. He continues, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily That's what he's saying, is that we get so focused on the here and now and how God can give us what we want here and now that we miss out on the grace and the hope and the future that he is offering us. If we say, if my my life would be so much better if I just had this, then we may be missing out on what God wants for us. Again, it's not that you can't want a better situation in life. It's not like you can't have needs. I have wants and needs. I shared them last week, some things that I would like to have. But if those become my sole focus and I miss out on who God is and what he has done for me, then I will ultimately miss out. Out. Here's what James says, the half-brother of Jesus, one of his closest disciples as well. He says this in James chapter 4, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes." And he's not saying that you shouldn't make plans and be wise and, 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 and aspire for certain things. But what he is saying is don't trade the pursuits of a vapor for the joy of eternity. Don't trade the pursuits of a vapor for the joy of eternity. In other words, don't trade the best meal you're going to eat all year for the snack table. And the snack table is good and it tastes good and it's yummy. But when you become so consumed with that, you miss out what I'm offering you, which is me, myself. And here's what I want us to know this morning. Here's what this passage is pointing to. And that's this, is that when I see Jesus for who he is, I will desire him for who he is. When I actually see Jesus for who he is and what he came to do on my behalf, I will desire him for who he is. We need to take from we need to see Jesus for who he is and take from the bread of life. In other words, Jesus didn't come primarily to make your life better, to make you healthy, to make, give you all the money you'd ever want in the world, to kind of take all of your worries away. In fact, sometimes following Jesus makes life go worse for you, especially for the New Testament believers where a lot of these letters were written, that life actually got significantly worse for them when they trusted Jesus. So in other words, when we see Jesus as I'm going to 
go to church and worship you and pray so that you'll fix this situation or so that you'll make me better, that you'll make me happy. We're missing out of why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just for our earthly pursuits to be better. He came to give us eternal significance and eternal purpose. He came to give us hope, forgiveness, love, and fulfillment. Now, let's be honest. That fulfillment will not be perfectly realized until we see Jesus face to face, right? We live in a broken and fallen world, but we get to start to experience it some way, somehow, here and now. When we take from the bread of life, we trust him for who he is. Again, when I see Jesus for who he actually is, which is the bread of life, I will desire him for who he is and what he offers me. So that's what we need to do this morning. We need to take from the bread of life. And so here, and here's why. We have one more passage, or one more, a couple more verses from this passage. Here's why we need to take from the bread of life. If you'll skip down to verse 47. Uh, verse 47, he says this. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. He's talking about the manna that God provided them as they were traveling from Egypt to the promised land. They ate it, but they still died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. He's talking about himself. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give, you, uh, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In other words, the, the bread that I'm giving you is actually me. Now, he's not saying you're going to physically live forever. Obviously, we will still die and meet Jesus face to face if, that, if we die before he returns. What he isn't saying is that you're not going to physically die. But what the scripture sometimes talks about meeting Jesus face to face, especially when he recreates the heavens and the earth and we are in his kingdom, is it talks about that is actually when we start to really live for the first time. That in this life, there are troubles, there are difficulties, things don't always go as we want, but it's actually when we die, if we have trusted in Christ, that we begin to live. And then he says this in verse 48, if you, or 58, excuse me, a few more verses down, he says this, that this bread, me, he's talking about himself, came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. That is, you're asking me to give you this physical bread to meet your earthly temporal needs when I'm here to give, you, to give you spiritual bread and to give you eternal life. And so we need to see Jesus for who he is because whoever finds Jesus finds life. Whoever finds Jesus finds life. What he's saying is whoever takes from me, you will actually find and experience life. Right? And this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he came, lived the life and was the perfect life that we could not live so that anyone who would trust and believe in him, that Jesus takes our shame and our embarrassment and our guilt on our behalf. He literally came to give his body, as he said here, his flesh for us. Not because we got to, anything we did to deserve it or because we got to get our act together or it's like a 50-50 thing between God that if God's going to save you and forgive you, you got to trust in Jesus, but also like be a really good person. No. He's saying, come and take from me, take from the bread, and you will experience life. It's not about what you do for me. It's about what I have done for you. Again, when I see Jesus for who he is, I will desire him for who he is. Not what I look for what I can think I can get out of him or what I think he can do or will do for me. I desire him to be Lord of my life, the Savior and the forgiver of my sins, and the one who offers true hope true forgiveness, and true life. We cannot, will not, uh, should not find this anywhere else other than Jesus, that you will not be rejected if you come to him, that you will not be turned away if you come and take from him. He came to offer his life for us. So that no matter where we may find ourselves in life, 
no matter what we may be doing, no matter what season of life we may be in, that we can take from him and have life. When I see Jesus for who he is, I'll desire him for who he is. Let's pray. God, thank you for coming and being the sacrifice that we didn't deserve, but that we need. God, we don't deserve the goodness of you coming and offering your life for us, but we're so thankful for it. Thank you that you came, not because we did something to earn it or to show how amazing you are, to kind of perform all these miracles and say, oh, how cool is this? But you came for one purpose and one goal. And all the miracles and all the things that you did were, were to show us this purpose and this goal, that you came to lay down your life for us. And my prayer for all of us in this room is that we would see and we would experience that. Maybe we need to see and experience that for the first time, or maybe we've been following you for a while and we just need to be reminded that the bread that you offer us is true, it is satisfying, and it is good. And if we find ourselves in a particularly difficult season of life, or if we have desires that we wish that we want to have fulfilled, God, I pray that we would pursue those things and try to work through those things, but still a reminder that the ultimate thing has been given to us, that you have been given to us. So I pray we wouldn't, we wouldn't lose sight of that. We wouldn't forget that in the difficulties of life, we can still have hope and grace and forgiveness. And I pray that we would desire you for who you are, for what you've done for us, and that we realize that nobody is rejected at the foot of the cross. So thank you for coming, for giving your life, for doing this purely because you love us, that anyone who comes to you will not be rejected, and you giving your life is a reminder of that, is an example of that, and shows us that whoever trusts in you will not experience death, but will actually experience true life. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, we are so ungrateful or und- undeserved for your gift, and we're so grateful for what you've done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.